what is up, fellow unfuck my businesses? This is Devin Rissolo from Beyond Bold, and you are listening to Unfuck My Business. No bullshit advice for business owners who want to be resilient as fuck. Without further ado, here are your hosts. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hey, and we're back for another episode of Unfuck My Business. I'm Jinx, your host, and uh, today we have a very special guest, Lil Barkowski. Lil is someone that I've known for a fair amount of time now, but I'm super interested in uh, the business that she's running, which is uh, ghostwriting and editing and publishing books for business owners specifically. We wanted to dive into that a little bit because I've I've heard a lot of advice over the years. Um, several of the uh, uh, programs that I've been part of in my time really hammered on why it was important for business, you know, people to write books and stuff like that. Uh, and I want to I want to do a deep dive on that. But before we do, Lil, tell us about your business a little bit and and what all y'all offer and and that sort of thing. Sure. First of all, I actually, I'm the vice president of Long Bar Creative Solutions. Uh, Cindy Long, my, my president and business partner, uh, is the long part. I'm, I'm Barkaski, so I'm the bar part clever. <laughs> I know. And about, about well, we've known each other 20 years from uh, back in Orlando days when I was a restaurateur, actually owned restaurants. And um, we, we reconnected through Facebook <laughs> about five or six years ago, and she started doing book covers for the, the publishing company and, and writing company I was working for then. And we went to an event about uh, coming up on two years ago and just really enjoyed being together again and working together and realized we had been passing business back and forth to one another. So we thought, well, let's make one big business out of this. And we're still, you know, formulating what, what all, all it's going to be, but it's, it's, uh, she's a graphic designer extraordinaire and branding expert. Uh, I owned a web development company doing basically WordPress and writing. And so I had started Ghostwriters Network about uh, two and a half, three years ago having come away from a different company where I learned a lot and uh, I felt like it was time for me to do my own thing. So I started Ghostwriter Network uh, and GWN Publishing. So we write books, we publish books, we edit books, we develop books, we teach courses, we create compilation books. And then of course our graphics and marketing team is instrumental in being able to, for that part of the company, to be able to market and brand those books, which is great. Or we simply work with businesses. We work with small to medium-sized businesses for the most part, or either just getting the jump start and they need coaching. We have all kinds of programs for that. And they, and a lot of times when they get to that second and third level of, the, of, of our programs, they need to write an ebook, a book, develop a book, or perhaps have us ghostwrite a book for them or create a workbook and a course for them. So those are the things we put together across the board. So wherever you are in the ladder of entrepreneurship, we have something to help you grow basically one way or the other and a lot of it is writing and a lot of it is graphics and branding so let's talk about the why here i hear a lot of advice to write books by business owners but you know it's it seems like it's a huge undertaking there doesn't seem to be a clear path to revenue necessarily i've heard many times that don't write the book for the sales because you're probably not going to sell them really so why why should a business owner write a book well, you know, I think you mentioned, and perhaps you want to bring it up further, but there's groups like KPI and things like that to talk about that's your whole thing in life to write a book. There are several kinds of books, people, and, and several reasons why people write books. I have written some fiction, but I don't deal with fiction a lot, and I don't recommend that as a moneymaker. <laughs> people write fiction because they have some great story they want to tell. And sometimes they become a millionaire. It's either nothing or all of it. <laughs> you know, you're either nobody or you're, you know, you're, uh, you're J.K. Rowling or Stephen King. But 
uh, when it comes to nonfiction books, there are basically two or three kinds of nonfiction books that, that are important to write. I'll just very briefly touch on the memoir. A lot of people write a memoir because they have to they have the burning desire to tell their story. And that story tends to lead for them speaking about their experience. It might be we have people writing memoirs about their experience of their autistic children or their abuse as a child. Or I had one lady wrote a book about her uh, experience having been one of the first children of the of the Hare Krishna movement and how much abuse she took. And she wants to speak to other people who have gone through religious cult issues and how that 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 cultism has hurt them. So memoirs are often written with the idea of A, purging, <laughs> getting that off your chest, and B, leading towards some sort of nonprofit speaking, whatever. and that's great for that, if that's your goal. Business books and business memoirs, uh, and I prefer when somebody does more of a business memoir. I like when somebody tells the story of why they got into their business, what, how it affected them, how it affected their clients, what, what great um, stories can hit upon someone and say, this is why I... You know, I did this, and and they can it affects people's lives, and then they too are looking mostly to be speakers. Straight up business books, sales books, often are something that shows you. And I think KPI spoke to this great deal. Key person of influence. It makes you the key person of influence, not to sell books, but to have the credibility of, hey, you know, look at me. This is my book. It's sitting behind you on the shelf when a person walks in. There's your face. Hey, is that your book? <laughs> you know, yes, I wrote a book. Um, I wrote a book for a gentleman years ago, uh, 60 pages, a little tiny book like this big. Does his mortgage or you know put together the loans for high-end yachts, boats, and 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 RVs. And he grew up boating and RVing. He does not sell that book. He leaves that thin little pretty book, and we told great stories about how he's a kid and he went boating from the time he was 10, 12 years old, and all the fun he's had with his, his kids himself taking them RVing. At the back of the book is basically come to me, I can get you the best loan on that RV you're looking at or the best loan on that yacht. And he leaves stacks of them, stacks at yacht sellers, at, at RV, you know, recreation world, recreation. They don't mind. It's, it's free. They don't give a crap. He's given something away that they, that they, it's a bonus for them to leave it there. And they're fun stories. It's a fun read. We had a lot of fun writing it. So your book can do a million things for you. I always say to people, why are you writing this book? Why are you writing it? What are your goals for the book? What are your goal? What is it going to do for people? What is it, what is it going to do for you? What's how is it going to change the world in some way? Is it what's your plan? And you know what do you, what do you hope this book is going to accomplish for you? And if it's if they say, well, I got a sales technique nobody else has, and I'm going to sell millions of copies, I go, you got the wrong writer. <laughs> <laughs> the chances are pretty good you're not going to sell millions of copies, even if you may have, unless you have something that nobody's thought of, and you got to wait. And even then, you got to market it and tell people that they got to read this because nothing. This will change their lives. And I'll tell you right now, so does everybody says that. Everybody says it. We're all cynics, and it's really hard to even if you do have a money mountain of the highest order, it's hard to get that word across to people to make them just buy your book. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, people have asked me to write a business book multiple times, and that's like so uninteresting to me. I do a little memoir writing, and and I I do a lot of blogging and that sort of stuff. And I've actually tried that a few times, like sat down and tried the exercise and wrote out an outline and put together a synopsis and created a framework. And the second I started laying in text, I was immediately bored with it. Like, I'm like, oh God, I don't even want to write this. So why the hell should somebody else read it? If you were, if you want to write a book, if the answer to that question, why do you want to write a book is 
I want to build some business credibility or, you know, talk about some of the things that I do or all the rest of that. But like myself, you find the entire process to be a complete turnoff. You know, what's what's the answer to that? Uh, me, <laughs> me and my team. <laughs> so we've written books on marketing. We've written books on business sales. We've written books on all kinds of very what 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 often I wrote a book on on led landscape lighting <laughs> you know, like seriously knew nothing about it when i started now i i think uh my client doesn't write a laundry list without me but uh, you know the answer is to get someone like us to pull the to pull things out of you that are more interesting than you even think are interesting you probably really you know, help to god if you're selling something you genuinely know your subject i mean you really do i i had to do a thing yesterday two days ago on days of blurring uh, I did a webinar for about 50, 60 people on ghostwriting and, and writing publishing. And the woman gave me the five questions she's going to ask. And she said, do, you need, do we need to practice? Do we need to I'm like, no, <laughs> silly. just ask questions and I'll answer. I, if I can't do that by rolling off my back at this point, you know, it's got to roll from that. So you do know your subject and you have had interesting stories and interesting clients and things have happened, whether you're a realtor or you're a, you sell widgets, it doesn't matter. Something fun has happened. Something different has happened. So our job as ghostwriters is to yank those stories out of you because people don't care about dry technique. They want to hear how that dry technique changed something for someone, how it grew someone else's business. So we yank those questions out. We just, you just, when our technique is basically like many, many ghostwriters, not unusual. We simply, once the outline is set up, we do a week by week or so, faster if you want it faster, slower if you want it slower. Generally once a week, one chapter, you talk your way through all the stuff and we pull questions out of you and we ask questions and we write you a chapter. You look at it. I like it. I need this, add this. I don't like whatever. And then you go to the next chapter. So you're just really kind of spewing your knowledge at us and we make a book out of it because we're writers and you're not. End of story. <laughs> sounds, sounds kind of cold, but really, you know, we do, this is what we do. So, you know, makes sense. Well, yeah, but let's talk about the elephant in the room for a hot second there's that certain stigma associated with ghostwriting, whereas like, oh, well, I mean, did you really write the book yourself? You know, that sort of a concept. And, and I think sometimes people worry that, okay, well, if I'm writing a book for credibility, but then I'm using a ghostwriter, aren't I already sort of shooting myself in the foot from a credibility perspective? Because there's this concept that that means that somebody else basically wrote your book. How do you respond to that? That's a fantastic, you know what, some, seriously, no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> All the questions everybody's asked me. Uh, because people don't ever, for a very good reason. Um, you build websites. Um, I do too, our team builds websites. My graphic team will make beautiful graphics for you. Does that mean because you had to have somebody do those things for you, you're illegitimate? Because somebody else had to make your materials for you, you build your website, you have to build your own website, you have to do everything for yourself? <laughs> really, you don't. And, and the credibility part is a ser serious thing, and look, I know there are people who have ghostwritten for politicians and athletes, and they probably never talked to those guys. I get it. We don't do that. Your credibility is that we don't know. Your, I didn't know a damn thing about LED lighting. I wrote a whole 60,000-page book on it with my client. Really, she wrote the book. I just did the writing. I don't know your subject. I can write on anything. Pick a subject. Talk about I can. I can write on turtles. <laughs> I can write on... Yeah, <laughs> I can write electricity. I can write, you name it. I can write something on it. If you tell me about it, your job is to tell me about it. Tell me the things you know. Your job isn't to make it pretty like you make a website pretty. When you write, when you put together a website, is that is that material that they sent you their material? Are they more or less their words and their ideas and the things they sell? 
are the pictures of the of the, the dresses that dressmaker sells or shoes. Those are their things. They don't even have to take the picture of it. But somebody puts that together to show what what they are capable of doing. So we're just we're like an assembly. We assemble <laughs> more than we write. When you assemble a website or we assemble a website, we assemble your thoughts, your ideas, your concept, your expertise. We assemble it into a book because what we do is we build it so words are easier to understand and read and colloquial and conversational. And we try to get your voice as much as possible. If you're very stiff and that's how you speak and that, and your, you know, your clientele is a bunch of engineers that talk a certain way, that's how we're going to write very technically. But if you're like most people, we write the way you write a blog, like we're having a conversation. And that's what people, I think, are drawn to. I know that editors and, and the editing process itself, even if you've completely written every word in your manuscript to start with for your first draft, editors will frequently obviously rewrite portions or reposition things or reorient things. And so maybe, I don't know, that's, yeah. it might just be a matter of that, that sort of expectation that ghostwriters frequently with athletes and other famous people don't necessarily have that same personal connection to the production process. But I think everybody sort of understands that editors make your words pretty and, and all the rest of that. And, and I don't know, maybe that's just a yeah. terminology thing. I've been resistant. It is to the same, it's the same thought. It is. And even after I write a book, we, we send it through some copy editing a little time. Sometimes my copy editors will say, Lil, I think that those sentences are too long. You might could switch this around a little bit. We have people sometimes read, you know, what, what do you guys think of this? People in the industry or what have you. But, um, and then proofreading, you know, because grammar and all that. But most of my clients really just talk and, and they tell me their story and they tell me their concepts and they tell me what they want to say. And I make it nice and clean and neat and easy. And, and they're, they're, they've done more of the writing than they realize at the end of the day. And it's very legitimate. There's never, never a reason to feel that you've, and, and truthfully, even if, if you need somebody to ghostwrite a book for you because your time is busier elsewhere and you get, I've worked with one lady who all she did was give me all her blogs. She gave me all of her blogs. In fact, she sent me to find them, which was really a nice. <laughs> she knew all the topics that she wanted. She's a nurse and a lawyer. And her book was to tell nurses all the, and boy, did I learn a lot. Like nurses are like walking on the edge of the blade, man. If they do one little thing wrong, they're written up, they're written up, they're written up. And here's these people working for next to nothing, saving our lives. And they make one little mistake and whoa. She had this whole thing about how the different ways that they can get in trouble and the different things they can be written up for and what to watch for, what to not, you know, and great stories. Like, you know, people put something on Facebook, one of their you know, charges got better or something, and then they got in trouble for that. So like, so that all she did was say, here's all the places I have blogs. Here's all the topics. Here's three videos I had transcribed where I talked, just make a book out of it. And she walked away and I made a book out of it. What do I, do I know nursing or law? No, absolutely not. But, I, but but that's one way you can put a book together by by you know putting together. That's more developing than than writing. But I did have to clean her writing up a whole lot. There were a lot of places where you know sentence structure or maybe the thoughts were a little confusing. So that's you no, know, it's not quite the same as writing something from scratch. But and there are, I'm sure are ghostwriters, and I'm not one of them, but who are assigned something to write. They do all the research. They never talk to the, the person whose name goes on that book. They just get paid a whole lot of money to do that, more than I do probably, quite <laughs> a bit more, I imagine. And that, that may, what, maybe that's legitimate, not, not what we do. So what's the best case scenario? When what, what does that prime client come to you with? What do they have done in advance? Like how, how, is, how, is, how is getting ghostwriting 
to be the most productive? How can I have the best experience hiring a ghostwriter? I truly believe, and I think my team would tell you this, my writers that work with me would tell you this, is my opinion, is the best bet is to start absolutely from scratch. I have seen too many people who have already started to put things together. It takes us longer to take, unless you've written a whole lot, and, you're, and all you really want is someone to copy edit what you've got and help you develop it a little bit. But for the most part, it's like training somebody to do anything. You know, better to not have to fix what they've done wrong and start over. So the best case scenario is you want to write a book. You don't really, aren't really a writer. You know that, but you really know your subject. You come to us and say, I want to write this book. And I, I this is my subject. And this is what we're going to talk about. We spend an hour and a half to two hours, maybe longer if need be, but generally in about two hours, we work up an outline. Maybe 12, maybe 14, 16 chapters, 10 chapters, whatever it might be, depending on what you have in mind. And the subtitles of that chapter, what's, what's inside that chapter? Because people want to know what they're getting into. So if it's, you know, whatever it might be, we're going to break it down as much as we can into littler bites. And then from there, we say, okay, here's chapter one we talked about. We're going to talk about this these, these three titles, these three concepts in chapter one. Go think about it. Make a few notes if you can, if you want. Just make some notes. Don't give me any material. Just do it. I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> so we, Monday, we get on a Zoom with them. Back in the day, we went to the offices. And they just talk. They talk. We type. Some of us like to record. I like to, I like to make notes. Everybody's different. And then by Wednesday, Thursday, they've got a chapter in their inbox. And then they look at that and they say, yeah. Oh, you missed a sentence. I thought I forgot about this thought or idea. They send us a few notes. We clean it up. By the next Monday, we're on chapter two. By the next Monday, we're on chapter three. It's it's much easier to do it that way, to let you just spew your ideas and thoughts at us and us to take notes and ask questions, stop you when we're confused or going too fast. And with every every week for about an hour and a half of your life, a chapter gets written for you. In 12 weeks, you got a book, roughly speaking. That's the easiest way, truthfully. So start from scratch, come in with your idea, but don't even bother trying to take any steps above and beyond the idea. Just bring your desire to have a book in, have a clear understanding of why you're writing the book and who you're writing it for, and then let y'all do the rest from there. Yeah. And if you don't even have that, we'll work with you on that. Some people come to us, they don't even know what their actual audience is. And we identify that audience because sometimes it is vague. They know what their subject is, but they don't know how to reach the exact audience. They might be all women. I had a woman working on a, divor a divorce book. Uh, book's going to be out next week, I think. We've got the cover. Everything's done. We're just in typesetting now. But she, she, she was trying to talk to men and women. And I said to her, honey, i, I got to tell you, <laughs> I don't know too many men are going to listen to you. You know, you're the enemy. forcing <laughs> their wife. And she said, you know, you might be right about that. So she stopped. She went all in on women. She's, she knows her, she's not going to coach very many men. If a man coming along that really wanted to work with her, great. But the 90% of her clientele is going to be women leaving a divorce, just like she did. And, her, and she was very confused about some things. And she was trying to be very dry. And she told me how her divorce began. <laughs> it began by her five-year-old son one day when she came home from a conference she was away at and said, Mommy, why did Daddy take a shower with the babysitter? So that's, that was a good knowledge. That was a good indicator wow. that divorce is on the on the horizon. <laughs> so, oh so ten years later, later, it's easier to look back on that and laugh. And I said, "That is your first chapter, <laughs> right there." And boy, she went all in. That's her first chapter. Mommy, why 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 does Daddy, why does Daddy take showers with the babysitter? 
and and she talks about how she would have been divorced. And and then we we made it. And women are going to understand that more than men are. So you have to sometimes help them define the audience, or perhaps I should say, refine the audience. Like refine what we're going to we're actually who are we really aiming at. And narrower is better in a lot of ways. You don't need everyone to read your book. You need the the people that are going to be rabid fans to read your book, and are looking for only you, and you're looking for only them. So we try to help them narrow that down a bit, narrow the scope. We talk a lot about how a good pitch disqualifies people who aren't your customer and having that no, real yeah. narrow message that turns some people off is ideal because of the fact that it really means that it connects more with the people that you're trying to turn on. Yeah. But on the flip side of that first question or that last question, how do people fuck it up when if you're hiring a ghostwriter? How does that relationship go wrong? There has to be some number of books that you've been contracted to write where you were just like, okay, you know what? Here's your money back because you're a giant fuck up. You know, what does that scenario look like? All right, so blessed I am that that exact thing happened yet. But I have had instances where people just don't have the follow through. They'll get started. They run out of money. They, they don't really want to do it. They find a reason not to, and the big one, they find a reason not to publish the book at the end of the day. A lot of the time that happens with memoir. They really want to get it off their chest and they want so badly to affect the world and change the world. And then they realize when they publish this, their mother, sister, uncle, cousin is going to be very hurt. Their family is going to be very mad. And they look around and they go, I needed to say all this. I've had people where I've sat on their couch and let them cry for two hours every Friday and tell me this story and then never publish the book. So that happens. I've had fiction writers. We just finished a fiction book that was a true story that we wrote a fiction about, wrote a fictional story of, and completely made up the, the rest of what happened there. But the woman whose book it was knew that the people that she grew up with who would live through the actual event of five girls being raped and murdered in their town, some of them were going to look at be critical because that isn't what actually happened. We made up this the way this guy did this. We, all, we took everything and made up a whole backstory about why he became a serial killer and why he became this awful person and what happened. And they're going to, I know some people are going to be, they are because they didn't write the book. <laughs> and they're going to be like, Oh, well, that isn't exactly what happened. And it took her a month to get past the idea of finally publishing it. Now it's out and it's doing really well. And we're working on screenplays and all that. But a lot of times it's the fear. Okay. So it goes back to Lil's, Lil's paradox. That's that completely answers all the questions in the universe other than the word 42. Okay, so this is the real answer. It's not 42. The answer to life, the universe, and everything is not 42. It's this. Every single human being in the world is desperate to be seen. Desperate. And when I say that, I mean that we nobody wants to feel invalidated. No one wants to feel like nobody notices they're there, that they're walking through the world a ghost. We all want that so desperately. And the paradox is that everybody singularly to a man is petrified to be seen because then once you're seen you have to do something about it you you are now now the world knows you exist and now you have to follow through so books are the same way everyone wants to write a book so badly and then they're afraid if someone reads it they're going to be criticized they're going to be laughed at they're going to be told they suck they're not going to be published nobody's going to hire them to speak but you got to jump off the, the bridge somewhere and go i'm doing it I'm going to do this thing. And I, and I, and maybe nobody will read the damn book. I don't know. Maybe everybody will read it. And either <laughs> one of those things, either options is scary as hell that no one will read it or everyone will. It's equally frightening. And I think that's what happened. Maybe everything. 
42. We talk a lot. I mean, that, that touches on, on two on two different things that we've talked about recently, both in the podcast and our community calls. One of the things that we talked about, or I think in the very last Tuesday, was when we, I think it was during the conversation about diversity, when I pointed out that, you know, at the end of the day, there are some things that are just universal, right? And that need to be known and seen, that need for validation. Uh, and whether that's validation in the professional sense, in the physical or aesthetic sense, in the personal, like friend sense, in some way, we we absolutely all desire that validation to be known and seen. But yes, that comes with some fear, right? Because the flip side of that a is lot of fear. you really have to lean into this idea of what I call radical vulnerability, and which I, apparently somebody else actually wrote a book with that name, I, you know, late to the game, I guess. But, you know, you have to be willing to roll the dice and put it out there and then see what's going to happen on the backside. I know that I, I've been working on some memoirs and, and I've gone through some of the same conversations. I shared one of the pieces with my sister and she's like, you're going to actually publish this, <laughs> you know, because, you know, like some of the best stories that you tell are stories that are deeply personal and deeply vulnerable. But at the yeah. same time, you're going to have to roll the dice and expose yourself in that way. And then after you roll the dice, they tumble for a while because it's like, OK, people are going to read it now, maybe. And then what are they going to think and what's going to happen? And you have this, this sort of gap between publishing and when those first sort of reviews and feedback come in where the dice are spinning and it's just all anxiety and panic, right? Absolutely. That's okay to say. On, 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 say on. This is unfuck my business. You are allowed to say fucking. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. No, I am good. Look, the first book that I ever put out of my very own. Well, look, I'm 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 rapidly queer, obviously. Okay, I'm not skinny. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons why being on a stage could be, you know. And I grew up in an era when none of those things were good. Okay, you're not going to be looked at for being rapidly queer. But I wrote a book called "Why Your Women Are Leaving You for Me and How to Get Them Back." <laughs> that was my first. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a fantastic book, and, and I really please everyone go and buy this book because I need the money. But I don't really need the money. But it'll be fun now. And I, and I wrote it as much as I like to because I really don't have time. And partly maybe because I don't want to be seen. But I wrote this book called How to, How to, Why Your Women Are Leaving You for Me and How to Get Them Back. And it's a guide for gentlemen, young gentlemen particularly, on why women are going, you know what? My dog looks good. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a lesbian. <laughs> Anything but you. <laughs> Anything but you. So, and I and it's a very funny book. I have, I have, I think the first chapter is your mother lied. You're not God's gift to the world. That's chapter one. Um, there's a chapter in there somewhere called lesbians, those pesky little buggers that are having all the fun. That's a chapter. There's one. Um, uh, they're your kids too. <laughs> you know, so it's it's a humor book, but. There's an awful lot of stuff in there about being a grown man and why women are saying, you know, I don't really, I'd rather be alone. And, and it isn't just women becoming with women. It's I've seen so many of my friends that are in their fifties are like, I'm never going to find a guy. I got a good dog. I got a great life. I'm just going to go to the bar and have fun. Great friends. I don't want, I'm not even <laughs> and there's some nice 50 somebody year old man who would be happy with that woman. And she'd be happy with him if he could learn the hell to grow up. <laughs> you know, and it's, and, and I, I, I took me a long time to grow up. So I'm trying to give the experience of, what it took me to get to where I'm not a complete child because <laughs> I'm basically an 18 year old boy most of the time. But, um, so that really, that's once over vulnerable. So now my, my book, my book signing was at the Barnes and Noble in Clearwater 
And the other books in the book signing were mostly people who had written Christian books. <laughs> so I'm with a Christian book company, company that the guy, the guy, my boyfriend partner was very, very uber Christian. How we didn't kill each other in four years was a miracle. Testament and now here's something a little different. Right, right. And so I get up and I'm talking about this. And I will tell you, the Barnes and Noble lady misunderstood. She didn't want to promote it because she thought I was saying, she thought I was like a uber feminine girl who was saying that, like she was so cool that like she thought I was sorry by one of these women who writes, but oh I'm pretty and, and your, your boyfriend's leaving it for me. And when she met me, she went, Oh, whoops, <laughs> I got that all wrong. <laughs> she so now I got like a hundred people there and they're all sitting around. I'm trying to talk about this crazy ass book I wrote. And I'm trying hoping that people get it and that they don't look down on me or judge me. You see, yeah, we all and I'm 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 you know me, I'm crazy, I'll do about anything. But even me with all the all the bravado that I put out there. I'm an only child. I'm extraordinarily shy in, in reality. And, you know, I've, I've lived through an era where being queer was not fun. I mean, that took a beat. That took a shit kicking most of my life. So, you know, it's hard. And people who never do that, they're never going to be able to do that. And I would never pressure them to do that. But if you think you're on that blade of the knife where you're like, I could do it. I'm not sure. I want to so bad but I'm scared we'll help you get over the fear as much as we possibly can. That's all we can do. You know, and if you're too afraid to put it out there and you write the book for yourself and you hand it out to your family or you put it in a closet, that's fine too. As long as baby, because <laughs> I don't get paid. But other than that, you know, we don't ever pressure anybody to release a book if they don't feel like they can or to write a book if they shouldn't. But if you want to, we'll, we'll help you get over it as much as we possibly can get through it. As I like to say, I equate everything with surfing. We'll help you get through the wave. You know, and sometimes the wave's bigger than others. You, can, you can't you can ride every wave and you can't just go over every wave. Sometimes you got to go through it. And if the wave is really giant, we'll help to the other side and see the sunlight. That's all we can do. There's a, an old saying that uh, all great art is born of tragedy. And I've found in my life that in the writing, right? You know, in the writing yeah. that I do, when I write, you know, sort of informative blog posts about how to do business better and such, I mean, they certainly get a fair amount of readership and I have a healthy audience in the business space. But when I do these deep dives on, you know, some of the, the trauma of my upbringing and the, the rough time that I went through as a young felon on the streets and, you know, when I talk about my struggles and, and mental health and problems with addiction and things along that line, those are the stories that seem to, I don't know if I would say resonate with the audience, but certainly engages the audience in a much bigger way. Do you think that that's really a cut and dry formula, that it's the train wreck that really draws people in more than anything else? Or is there a way to write a nice, happy, neutral story that gets the same kind of emotional engagement? That's a, yeah, yes, wonderful questions. I have to say that for real. I would have to say that probably... 80% of the time or more, it, it's our tragedies that we connect with each other on. Think about this. When someone dies, everyone rallies to that person who's left behind and goes to the funeral and brings food, and we rally behind the sitting you know, When When the person comes out of the hospital and they're fine, we don't bring any food anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like we're done. But but I do think that our human experiences are, dis are how we overcome difficult times. I, I always say when I start, someday I'm going to write my own story. And my story starts being six years old and watching my mother crawl up the stairs of my grandmother's attic apartment, screaming while on the radio, they were talking about how my uncle had jumped off the Empire State Building and they said his name on the radio. 
So that's that's the first mem like really strong memory I have. My only my father's only brother, jumping off the Empire State Building. It led my father to be a very negative person until that time. Is what I can remember. Of my dad, he was very very fun. We would make tents on on, on the floor and we would play with dinosaurs. And he made he was a scientist. He made volcanoes on the on the table. <laughs> remember that we made things would be blowing up shit, you know. And and after that, he was a very different, very somber. Person and it took a lot of a lot of his joie de vivre away, losing his kid brother that way, publicly and loudly and violently, and so you know when I say that story, very few people have that experience. Clearly, not that many people have done that, but they can also say, well, yeah, my kid, he's my kid killed himself, or my brother killed himself, or my, you know, and and, and I was the or my, I was a little kid, my my sister died of something, and we we, we then we can feel like we're human. We've done we know that the the, the humanity of, of each other. So it is our tragedies that connect our humanity more than our joy, because unfortunately, you know, sometimes I think we're jealous of other people's joys. But you can also tell joyous stories. You can tell stories like, was that, remember that movie Rudy with the football kid? <laughs> like stuff like that, yeah. or we are special. You know what I mean? Those kinds of stories, I think the, the sports story or the, the hero, the unsung hero, the, the, there was a one um, Hacksaw Ridge, I think it was, the guy who kept climbing up the mountain and taking the guys back down and saving all his lives. Like, no, heroism. As an unarmed pacifist, refused to engage in combat, but just rescued his squad. Great film. Great. You know, and 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 so, you know, heroism, I think, or, or when we do go above and above beyond for other people, I, 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 maybe, I'm a, maybe I'm a Pollyanna, but I do think that mostly people are good. I think that mostly people want to do good. I think mostly people want to help one another. It's very disheartening to watch the world being in the condition it's in right now, but I think we'll come out of it because I think the end results is we really mostly want to be to see others be happy and and help the people in our lives. So, seeing someone in tragedy and being able to get through that tragedy is inspirational, and to be able to do things that are difficult and heroic is inspirational. And and if you could inspire people with that, you know, that you've gone through these kinds of things and come out the other side of that wave you're going to get a lot more attention than just to tell some nice story about, you know, how you had a great romance and your life was good. <laughs> so, yeah. For the last question here that I have, uh, you've, you've, and we're going to go a little sideways, but um, you've mentioned a few times, obviously that you are uh, rabidly queer. And <laughs> talk about queer. <laughs> I just mentioned that today. Uh, I'm going to use that from now on. I'm rabidly queer. <laughs> but, uh, how that came with a shit kicking along the way you know we've talked a lot uh, over the course of the podcast and in our community about you know how important we know that it is to have diversity representation in our business networks but the business networks themselves you know have been I'll, I'll politely say resistant to change over the course of decades you know having that perspective, you know, what does it look like? I mean, I, I see now that there are significantly well-developed LGBTQ business networks that specifically try to create opportunity for various marginalized groups and things along that line. What's your experience been in the evolution of the diversity of the business space over the last 20 years? Well, I, I think it's like a pendulum. I think we have swung, you know, this way and that way and this way and that way. And I think right now we're right here somewhere, like kind of in the middle. You know, and, it, and it, it depends on politics, obviously. When Obama was president, we had an African-American president for the first time. He brought in a lot of diversity. 
And then the, everybody was like, I'm going to be diverse. Woohoo! What can we do? Let's do diversity things. <laughs> let's, you know, let's like, you gay, be in the military. You know, come work for my company if you're black. We don't care. Uh, you know, and, and then we swung so fast. I mean, with George Bush, he wasn't Trump, but he was, you know, he was pretty far the other way. And, and women, I saw women, young women going back to the house saying, you know what? I don't want a career. I want to be a housewife. I want to raise a parent. That happened a lot with George Bush. A lot of women, I think a lot of it had to do his mom. His mom was the ultimate mother, you know, Barbara Bush, right? So they all wanted to be like Barbara. They were going to raise households. And a lot of the Christian women were going to have more and more children. It became a bad thing to have less than four children if you were Christian. And have at least, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, I had a lot of experience with this, unfortunately for me. But if you if you didn't have at least four kids, you were shunned. So they were trying to have more kids. Trying to, yeah, 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 yeah. The more kids, the more you elevated in, in the church community. Oh, you have six? Ooh, you're better than me. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you too. You know, so and then we went back like with Obama, we went back to women wanting to get a job and and and, and you know and, and all that. And then we jettisoned backwards like like in, in into the fifties, literally in four years. It's unbelievable how far back we went almost to the Stone Ages in four years. And now we have uh, we have a complete split. I'm gonna be super diverse or I'm gonna be super uh, it's white male, everything else sucks. So I think it's gonna take a couple more years of us kind of and God willing, it's gonna be some kind of normalization where we don't try to force people to, to be diverse because it, we're pushing them to do something they're, they're not comfortable with. And at the same time, we're, we recognize that, you know, there's so many different kinds of people in the world. And I'm putting out a book shortly that a woman wanted to write desperately called My Next Husband Will Be a Lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like there's a recurring theme here. <laughs> no, this was, this was her. It's all her. My, my, my book is all to men. My, my book is written for men. It's guys, please watch this, read this book. If you listen, listen to me. If you're not getting a date, go buy that book <laughs> because that's about how to get. I don't want anymore. I got plenty of them. I got more toaster ovens than I could possibly have. <laughs> really, please, guys, take some of these women. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of cool and cute and everything, but I don't want anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> I got enough. But, but this book is about women with an X. Okay. So my editor, my, my other half is like, what's this X thing? Like, Let me look it up. Because it used to be women with a Y, remember for a while? Right, ago? right, yeah. X, education now, everyone, I could say. Um, the X means, like, including transgender, bisexual, uh, pansexual. It's the whole gamut, right? This woman, true story, has been married twice, second marriage of 14 years, has children, all that, has never been with a woman, but identifies as a lesbian. She believes in her heart that she's a lesbian. Never had the experience, but... She believes that if things go south with her husband and her kids get to a certain age, she really believes she's going to be with a woman. That's that's in her heart that she believes that. And and there's a variety of really interesting stories from, you know, uh, a transsexual woman to, you know, women who live with their husbands and have sex with women on the side, women who have left their husband. I mean, it's all over the place. And I think that diversity has to be understood in our lives first. Because work, work is just work. Okay? But if you don't understand that diversity in your life, you're not going to bring it into the workplace. And if we start to think about, especially now that we've all stayed home to work you know, for so long, what workplace? <laughs> White men. There is no workplace. That's <laughs> not what you're talking about. So you have to look at that and recognize you're going to see all kinds of people in the world, what they do at home, who they have sex with, who they love, whether they want to wear a dress or a kilt or freaking you know pantaloons. It <laughs> makes a hill of beans about what their capabilities are. And this whole COVID thing, the 
you know, I, <laughs> if I had time, I'd tell you my favorite story and it really equates to it. But the, co the COVID thing really was a blessing to teach us that we can do what we do from the confines of our own places. And it really matters not like what you're wearing or what, what you look like, whether you're fat or you're skinny or you're white or you're black, you can turn this, the, the Zoom thing off and I, you could be anybody, right? But in Clubhouse, holy crap, <laughs> that's another whole thing. So yeah, I think the diversity, we have to look at our lives first and say, you know, don't have black friends because it's, you know, it makes you cool. Don't, 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 you know, say, I, I understand gay people when really the clot in your head, you're going, oh, I don't get that. Accept people who they are, accept that they're all different and that they're very, if they're valuable at what they do, great. If they're not, then hire someone else. Hire people who are good for the job. We're going to get the job done. It doesn't matter what else they do. So once we start to think that way, I think we'll, we, we, the diversity becomes like just a word. We, 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 um, we throw it out the window. It's, it's, it's an unnecessary word. And I think it kind of is an unnecessary word. What the hell's that about? It's just be who you are. Well, I think fundamentally it's, it's been mostly about trying to recognize where people have been marginalized and finding the obstacles that exist in society and trying to tear those down. But that is the ideal of it getting to the place where none of that matters at all when it comes to choosing who you do business with or associate with or partner with or whatever else the case may be. Well, luckily, people you know my age and you know, 10, 20 years older are starting to die. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and no, I say that as a joke because I'm not going anywhere. But no, uh, and I don't mean disrespect to older people, but I do think that generationally it is different. I think the millennials have a completely different idea. The kids younger than the millennials have a completely different idea. They have they really don't very much see color or sex or you know whatever your sexual orientation. They don't see it. I think they genuinely don't see it. They, they, and they, they, and there are some that do because they've been taught by their parents continually to see this damn thing. But for the majority of them, the most of them are like, yeah, and that proves, you know, dude, have you ever seen a, a presidential election where people danced in the street? Have you ever, right? The list moment. Have you ever seen white kids and older folks walking with black people arm in arm to say, that's an, enough? Is enough? Is enough? This has been an amazing year. It really, last year was amazing. If you look at all the totality of it, it was in some ways, you know, the best year we've ever had. The worst things that happened to you are the best things that happened to you. 2020, that's a, that's one of the number one lilisms of all time. The, wor the best things that happened to you are the worst things that happened to you. You know, the worst things that happened to you are the best things that happened to you. And, and that was really, 2020 was that. It really was the worst thing that happened to us. And it was certainly amongst the best things that's ever happened to us. That's a, a really fantastic way, I think, to wrap up this episode and, and a, a remarkably inspirational way, all things considered. I want to thank you for uh, being on the episode today. It's been really great uh, getting your insight. Anybody who has uh, more questions about this, please feel free to email us at WTF at unfuckmybusiness.com. And if you want to reach <laughs> out to Lil and uh, get some uh, ghostwriting and publishing and editing stuff done, you'll be able to find all of her contact information in our show notes. We will be talking about this more in a future or in recurring uh, Tuesday night community calls. So if you're not part of our group on Facebook, it's Unfuck My Business. Find it there and then um, come see us and join our uh, Tuesday night calls, uh, 7 p.m. EST. What the fuck are you waiting for? Take what you just learned in this episode and go do something with it. You'll find all the links and resources we talked about in our show notes for this episode. Go to unfuckmybusiness.com to subscribe to the show.